Church, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as we continue our study through 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. As you turn there, I'm going to talk momentarily about this phrase. I have to see it to believe it. I am one of these people. I, I'm a very uh, logic-minded person. I like to think in a linear way. That's a Western way of thinking, but it's particularly true for me especially. In school, I did not like English. I did not like reading. I liked math. It's simple. The rules are fixed. Two plus two is always going to be four. I can, I can remember the rules and apply the logic, and it's going to get me the answer as long as I've correctly applied the logic in all the right ways to get to the conclusion. But then when you get to English, everything gets weird. Okay? I before E, except after C, except in weird, which is a weird exception to the rule. And there's all these other things that, oh, well, and here it's one way, here it's the other, and it's just, uh, I don't like it. I, I, like to, I like to see it and calculate it and see it out. So whenever you hear something fantastical, some type of a testimony from someone, that was, we were in El Dorado, and one of the things there that they, all the students in the student ministry loved was the Crosset Lights. And did you ever go with us out to the Crosset Lights? So it's this railroad track that if you drive your car across at night, these fingerprints will appear on the back windshield of your car. They say it's some kind of a ghost type of a thing. And if you just sit out there in your car at night, you can see in the distance, not on the tracks, but down this road, you can see these lights that would just appear and just seem to just kind of move in a weird direction. It's very odd. So the students were insistent about it. And they're like, Brother Gary, you've got to go see the cross at lights. Like, I'm telling you, it's real. And so me, logic minded, I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not real. I'm telling you, it's like my, my great aunt, you know, she had this. I'm like, yeah, but I didn't see that. <laughs> I need to see it myself. Well, so the students wanted to go out. It's like an hour and a half out maybe. So we loaded up in a van one night and we all went out there and I sat and I went and I'm like, okay, Let's see it. Like, okay, just sit here. You just got to wait. So we sat for like an hour, hour and a half. I'm waiting. I'm like, okay, I don't see the lights. Oh, I don't see fingerprints. That's your fingerprints. Nice try. You know, like, where was it? And we didn't see it. And so they chalked it up to, well, you've got to come back on a different night. I've seen it. I know it's real. We have this thing where we, we desire to see this confirmation. And when we do see it, there's almost nothing that can convince us otherwise. And if we don't see it, there's almost nothing that can convince us otherwise until we see it. The evidence or the sign doesn't make it true. It just confirms or makes it obvious what you suppose is true. This is sort of the point of spiritual gifts, and we'll see this in just a moment. I'm going to go ahead and give you the main idea this morning. Spiritual gifts reveal God and the gospel through everyday Christians. Spiritual gifts reveal God and the gospel through everyday Christians. So we're entering into the eighth topic in Paul's letter to the church, spiritual gifts and order in the church. And if you're looking at your Bible right now, you'll see chapters 12, 13, and 14 cover this topic, three whole chapters worth, and it kind of goes back and forth on the nature of the church, unity, order, and spiritual gifts. We're going to be in chapter 12, verses 1 through 11 this morning. Hopefully you're there, and I'm going to invite everyone to stand together for the reading of God's Word, just as a physical posture 
of the posture of our hearts as we come before God's word. All reverence and ready to accept in faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given, through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues." All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, as we think heavily upon you this morning, how you have gifted your church for service, we ask that you would open up your word to us as a manifestation of your presence among us, that we might hear from your word see and believe, and be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. Thank you, church. You can be seated. So as we start off in verse 1, we see this repeated phrase, now concerning. It's just another reminder. Paul is answering questions that the Corinthians have asked him. So he's answered multiple already. Now he's coming to spiritual gifts. They had some question apparently concerning spiritual gifts. So he says, now concerning spiritual gifts. And I want you to notice it may not be instantly obvious in the ESV, but if you have another translation, you may recognize it. There's another repeated phrase here. He says, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, in the ESV, it's less obvious because this phrase, it comes from chapter 10, verse 1 of the same book. And Paul says this, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our, father, that our fathers were all under the cloud. So there he says, I do not want you to be unaware. And then here, it looks like he says it's slightly different. I don't want you to be uninformed. The word unaware or uninformed is actually the same Greek word there. The translators here just chose to use uninformed instead. It's still a right translation, but it fits the context better here in how Paul was intending the word. But it's important for us to just recognize he's repeated this phrase before, and when he used it before, he was making an important point about Moses and the Israelites in order to make a larger point about idolatry and being led away after idols, specifically this idolatry of personal desire. So in the same way here, Paul is going to make an important point and then expand it out to make a larger point. So what is that larger point? Let's keep going. Verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. 
So in saying this, Paul is simply saying, you have a history of spiritual gullibility. You were led away to mute idols that do nothing. They're little blocks of wood or copper or stone that someone got together and said, okay, let me mold this into an idol and then sell it to people and tell them that it will provide for their needs and it will protect them. And you were led astray by that. You were spiritually gullible. By the way, this is the state of all who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord. This was the state of all of us before we came to know Jesus Christ as Lord. We were spiritually gullible. Before we come to know Jesus, the Bible says that it's like we have a spiritual veil over our face to keep us from seeing clearly the truth of the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3-4. through 4, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26 says this about the person who might hopefully repent and believe. They may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So before believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ for salvation, the spiritual state of every individual is dead and blind. You cannot cause yourself to live. You cannot cause yourself to see. This is what our brother hit on last Sunday night as we went through the book of Revelation. Back in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, we see how the veil comes off. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So it is only through the power of Christ that the veil comes off. Even now, as we are reading God's Word, or in churches around the country, as God's Word is being read, there are some present who are sitting and listening, and the Holy Spirit is working in their hearts, and He is pulling back this veil that individuals might see and behold what they have not been able to see and believe before. It is a work of God through His Spirit. This is true of the most gullible, unintelligent of us, as well as the cleverest, smartest of us. Apart from the grace of God in Jesus Christ, that veil keeps all of us enslaved to the evil one, and the scripture said that we are daily living in his will. We are puppets. Those of you who appreciate Christian rap, which is probably like 1% or less, and they're probably all sitting on the front row here. There's a song that uh, Trip Lee wrote called Robot that our students really loved. I'm seeing some head nods. That's right. And so the idea behind this song is that all of us are robots. We are doing what we are pre-programmed to do. There are those who do not know Jesus, and they are pre-programmed to sin. And then there are those who know Jesus and now we are programmed differently. We are set free and we aren't slaves to him anymore. So those who turn to Christ in faith and repentance are no longer blind, but they can see now. And they are able to live in his will daily. What's Paul's point in all this? Remember, he's talking about spiritual gifts. 
He's reminding them of their gullibility before Christ. They were led in different ways to believe that these mute, motionless idols that can do nothing at all were actually gods. Apparently, the Corinthians were being led astray again, somehow with spiritual gifts. He says he doesn't want them to be uninformed. This time they weren't being led away by mute idols. It was by these miraculous signs that masqueraded as spiritual gifts. We get a glimpse of this in verse 3. Therefore, I want, you to be, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So apparently some claim to be speaking in the Spirit of God saying Jesus is accursed. Now we might hear this and think that doesn't make sense. How could they not understand that obviously that person isn't speaking from the Spirit? It might sound strange to us, but this deception is actually more reasonable than it seems at first. I came across one commentator who suggested that this might be Jews, prophets of God, who claim to follow Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, the one true God. And they claim to be speaking from the Holy Spirit. And they might quote this passage from Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 through 23. If a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So these prophets, these so-called prophets, would possibly be proclaiming that Jesus, he was hanged on a tree, he violated, he committed blasphemy, he was hanged on a tree, and that he is accursed or condemned. And you can see how people who are new to this might listen to this and think, oh, Okay, well, that's strange. I mean, he's quoting the Bible here. He's saying this. I, I see it. I, I'm confused. I don't understand. Now, the text doesn't say that this is exactly what's happening. But I want to make the point that this isn't maybe quite so much of a leap as we might expect. Someone claims to be speaking in the Spirit, and they say something that just doesn't seem right. But, you know, I just can't really tell. It sounds ridiculous, but apparently this was working. How? The Corinthians were being led astray by counterfeit demonstrations of the Holy Spirit. These counterfeit spiritual gifts. So Paul makes it clear. The sign that someone is exercising a spiritual gift is that it exalts the lordship of Christ. This is our first point this morning. Spiritual gifts point to the lordship of Christ. Those who are filled with the Spirit will not say and believe Jesus is accursed. Rather, they will say and believe Jesus is Lord. That comes from the Spirit. You see, Corinth had a history of practicing what's called mystery religions. You see this a little bit um, today in Hinduism as an example. A lot of gods, some say hundreds, a uh, hundred something million gods, and it's hard to count because there's so many of them. Or you see it a little bit in China with some of their Chinese religions and these different variations of these different gods that they worship. Basically, it's a number of related religions, and they all pledge allegiance to various gods, 
And they hope for the God to provide them protection or success in life, material gain. Well, these priests and diviners and other spiritual people in these religions would demonstrate their closeness to their God through these ecstatic, flamboyant exercises, speaking the languages of their gods, flashy manifestations, sensual dances, like they've lost control of their body and their body is being taken control over. I saw a video of this of an African tribe that does something similar, and they put on this mask, and then the person in the mask starts to do this dance that physically looks impossible for his body to move that way, but he's able to do it. And that's supposed to be the God taking control of this person to speak to the people. This is what the people in Corinth were used to. This is how you know, oh, that person must be close to look what they're doing. That's weird. Okay, what do you have to say to us? We want to hear what God has to say. These signs were considered proof that these individuals were speaking on behalf of their God in that moment. Well, apparently... Like many other issues in the Corinthian church, these practices and ideas began to migrate over into the church. They kind of took these same things they're used to and slowly, maybe even probably unintentionally, began incorporating them in their worship. Some Christians were displaying these genuine spiritual gifts that were very obvious and flashy. And the flashy gifts were essentially becoming idolized while these mundane gifts, so to speak, were looked down upon. So Paul's going to come back and make the point later, all of these gifts, we shouldn't think of it as, oh, this person had this flashy gift, they're super mature. This person, you can barely even see theirs, we don't need them as much. He's going to make the point later that everyone in the body of Christ, whether they seem important or they seem insignificant, it's actually these that seem the most insignificant that are the most crucial. We'll see that later in the chapter. So there were some who began to demonstrate these flashy gifts, and they were actually counterfeit. They weren't legitimate. They weren't being exercised in a biblical way or a godly way. And the Corinthians did not have the book of 1 Corinthians to point to, to say, well, how should this look? So Paul writes them, and we have this letter now for our benefit now we can start to weed through these counterfeit gifts. Any genuine spiritual gift will align with God's word, and it will work to exalt Jesus Christ. That's the point here. So now, starting in verse 4, we see these repeated phrase three times, similar. It's a parallel phrase. Now, there were varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. We see this parallelism here. You see it a lot in the book of Psalms. You see it sometimes in Proverbs, this Hebrew parallelism. And it's the same phrase, basically, but they change a couple of words each time. And it kind of fleshes out an idea, or sometimes it will contrast an idea. Well, here we see these repeated words, varieties but the same, varieties but the same. The varieties point to the gift, and the same points to its source, God. There's an implicit reference here, by the way, to the Trinity. You see the same Spirit, verse 4, the same Lord, verse 5, the same God, verse 
6. In chapter 11, Paul uses Lord to refer to Jesus here. So what about these varieties of gifts and the, and the same God who bestows them? Well, let's look at these words one at a time. First, we see in verse 4, there's varieties of gifts. This is the Greek word charisma. It's where we get charisma from. It's where we also get the word charismatic from. We see these different churches that claim to be charismatic. That's where this comes from. There's an emphasis on the gifts in that church. The gift is the thing that's being given. We'll look at that in just a moment. It's pretty self-explanatory. The second word here in verse 5, there are varieties of service. Now, this is the Greek word diakonos, which is where we get our word in our churches, deacon. It is to serve. It is a service, diakonos. It can also be translated ministries. Some of your translations probably use the word ministries or varieties of ministries. So there are different gifts, and then there are different ways that these gifts are used in order to serve. It's important to note that the purpose of a gift is not selfish. It is to serve in some capacity. We'll look at that in just a moment. The third word here, activities, is from the Greek word energema, where we get the word energy. The root of it means to work. So if we combine it with the phrase following, it says the same God who empowers them all. That word empowers combined with this word for energy shows us that it is God taking the gift and giving us what we need to use it well whether that's conviction or a leaning in a direction or putting us in a situation where we might be motivated to exercise our gifts. It happens, again, in a number of ways. But the thing that doesn't change is the source of these gifts. Who does it come from? Who is it that empowers us for it? It is God every time. They are divine gifts. So we see that spiritual gifts are not talents. There isn't the spiritual gift of singing or the spiritual gift of piano or guitar or drums or whatever it is. There isn't the spiritual gift of construction work or the spiritual gift of filing papers or various things like that. Those are talents that can be developed. Those are all great things. They can all be used for the Lord. That's not what a spiritual gift is. A spiritual gift is from God and empowered by God. You do not know me from before my life here in Gina. You may know parts of my life. If you knew me in high school, you would be shocked at the person that I am today. I could not, I remember 11th grade English class. It was one paper, and it's double, it's like double spaced lines. It's very short. It would take me about five minutes to read. And I'm in front of the class, and I've got my paper, and I'm just, my hands are shaking, and the paper is visibly moving, which makes me even more nervous, because now everyone knows I'm nervous. And I'm just shaking, and I just can't believe it, and, and I have to get through. The thing that I do every single Sunday morning, I laughed at the idea that I would be doing that one day. So why is it that I'm doing this? I know that it's because the Spirit of God has equipped me and called me for a ministry. And it's the same with each of us. God can call you, and he does call you sometimes, to do things that you thought you would never do. And he equips you to do it. He gives you the gift that you need. He gives you the energy that you need to step out in faith and boldness to do those things. It is a divine 
ability given by God. So what are their purposes? Look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So here's our second point this morning. Spiritual gifts are divine enablement for church growth. And I use that phrase very specifically for a reason. If you came on Sunday nights to our What is a Church series, this definition will sound extremely familiar. It's the exact same one that I gave there. Spiritual gifts are divine enablement for church growth. So God's word here says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It's given for the good of many. And in the chapters that follow this, as we go into chapter 13 and 14 here, we're going to see what it means for it to be for the common good. Specifically, it means that the spiritual gifts exist to serve the church. Now, that doesn't mean that our spiritual gifts are to only be used in this room, and it's to only be used in exercising with one another. There are gifts that benefit the church that take place outside of the church. As the gospel is shared and the church grows, that's for the good of the church. As the church in here matures, that's for the good of the church. So church growth isn't just numbers and increasing in size, but it also is not just holiness, and wisdom and maturity. There are two elements of this. The church is expanding and it's growing stronger. That's what the spiritual gifts exist for. We also see that they are given to each. Look at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. This means that every Christian has at least one spiritual gift, period. If you were in this room, and you were a Christian, and you were born again, you have a spiritual gift, something God gave you that you did not give yourself, that he energizes you, gives you energy to use to serve for the good of the church. Everybody, period. I believe everyone has more than one. I don't see that here in the text, but what I do see is everyone has at least one, to each is given. If you are a Christian, you have a spiritual gift. We see this in verse 6. It's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. We see it again in verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. If you are a Christian, God has gifted you to serve the church. Again, we see the Bible has no category for a Christian who is not intimately involved in the church. We are saved out of the world, and we are saved into the body of Christ, the universal church. For us to think that I can be a part of the universal church, but not a member of a local church, is just unbiblical. It is unbiblical. It is unhealthy. That doesn't mean that you can't genuinely be saved. It just means you're living in disobedience, is what that means. So it is for the common good that we might serve the church. Finally, we see in verse 7, to each is given, and it doesn't say to each is given a gift. It, it describes it here, the manifestation of the Spirit. 
This is the divine part that exalts the lordship of Christ. Spiritual gifts don't exist to make us look good or to make our church look good. They exist so that people might see them exercised and say, glory to God who caused that to happen. Because that is unnatural. That doesn't make sense. Spiritual gifts confirm to the body that God is at work in his people. Have you ever been encouraged by one of your Sunday school teachers in such a way that you were so grateful and you think, thank you so much for what you've done? It wasn't that individual. It was God working through that person. We don't get credit for it. If you hear a good sermon, it isn't me. It's God speaking. If you hear a bad sermon, that's all me. That's how this works. God gets the credit for the good things that take place. If it was up to us, we would just mess it up every time. But God is very gracious in giving us these gifts to make his presence manifest. That we might see what he's doing. Now this doesn't happen in the way that pagans manifest their own gods. They have these practices and these weird things. That's like, oh, well, that looks strange. I guess God is there. It's not in this way that God does it. Spiritual gifts are different. They can be verified by the word of God. Just like with Corinth, there was this uncritical acceptance of whatever most easily caught their attention. And it can be the same with us, where something catches our attention and we're uncritically accepting of it. And it proves both our gullibility and our laziness. Either we are lazy in that we don't go back to God's word to verify what we're seeing, or we're gullible in that we think we don't need to. I don't need to, because look at this. This is fantastic. This must be genuine. God has given us his word so that we might test the things that we see and hear. This is what the Bereans did in Acts 17, verse 11. It says, They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So they received it eagerly, and they said, whoa, this is fantastic. Man, I hope this is true. Hey, I'm going to go check before the next sermon and see. And they would go home and open up a copy of the scriptures and say, man, okay. I mean, this is, this is what we're hearing about the gospel, and I, I guess, yeah, I see this confirmed here in the scriptures. Yet we are so often tempted to weigh God's will differently whether or not we should do something differently. As we weigh something to see if it's of God, we ask, before we ask, what does God's word say? Is it practical? Will it help us? Is it going to be easy? How are people going to perceive this? Can I understand? Does this make sense to me? If it is of God, it will align with his word. And if it aligns with his word, it is good, right, and true, regardless of the answers to any of those questions. We must go to God's word to verify these things. And it's the same with spiritual gifts. They exist to manifest the spirit in a verifiable way. We'll go into more detail in this in chapter 14. Verse, verse 8 says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, 
to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, this list is not intended to be exhaustive. There's other lists in scriptures. If you want a more detailed account of the various lists and spiritual gifts, we're not going to go into that now. You can go on our website, look up the What is, uh, what is a Church series, um, and find the sermon on spiritual gifts. All that is there for you. If you need help finding that, come get me later and I'll show you. What's important for our purposes now is that each item listed here is Paul demonstrating the common goodness of the spiritual gifts. Look at the language here, bridging verse 7 and verse 8. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit, and then he goes on with the list. So he's demonstrating in the list what things are examples of spiritual gifts that serve for the common good. Every item in this list serves that purpose. The utterance of wisdom manifests the Spirit for the common good. The utterance of knowledge Manifest the Spirit for the common good. You can go down the list. Each is for the common good. What this means is that when used properly, spiritual gifts do not serve selfish purposes. They don't exist for you. There are some today that use them that way. This exists just for my encouragement. The Scripture has no category for that spiritual gift. They exist to serve the church they exist to serve for the common good, to serve one another. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, and it gives a list of some spiritual gifts there, use it to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace. So they exist to serve one another, and I'm going to tell you the ultimate thing that they exist to do for the common good is to serve the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the greatest common good. All the spiritual gifts serve that purpose to some degree. This is how the lordship of Jesus is made manifest. So number three, spiritual gifts serve the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to look at these real quick. We have the utterance of wisdom and knowledge. I'm going to put both of those together. These have to do with explaining with wisdom and knowledge, God's word to others. There are some in the church who are wonderful teachers. God has gifted them to be able to utter things that are true, knowledge, information, or to be able to speak wisely into a situation, to utter wisdom. Here's how you apply this knowledge in the situation. That is a miraculous occurrence in those teachers. So these gifts explore the content of the gospel. We have faith, healing, and various miracles. These aren't regular, they're extraordinary. Extraordinary faith, extraordinary healing, and miracles. Faith and trust in God when it doesn't make sense to empower our testimonies. Like when Raju and Leela came to the States and they had these medical issues and then they get back over to India and they're able to tell their church, we had faith in God and he carried us through and here's how. 
That is a spiritual gift being exercised of faith and healing. These gifts confirm the truth of the gospel. Prophecy, discerning between spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. These have to do with proclaiming God's word. The Greek word for prophecy, translated literally, can mean to proclaim forth. To say something true on behalf of someone else especially, namely God. So it can literally just be proclaiming God's word to people, and that is a prophetic utterance. It doesn't have to be a foretelling of the future, though sometimes it is. Discerning between spirits calls out those false prophets who are not proclaiming God's word, but are proclaiming something contrary to it. Tongues, as we see at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and as we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 14, help to dispense and verify God's word as it's being proclaimed. So all these gifts work to share the gospel. They all serve the gospel in some form or fashion. So when we say that a spiritual gift is for the church and for the growth of the church, we don't just mean my church is stronger. We also mean the church is expanding and growing. We are bringing others in to the faith. They are being equipped with gifts, and they are serving the church here and out of the walls of the building. This is all of our task. We are all stewards of God's gifts, every single one of us. And the purpose is for the gospel in the church. So here's two questions I have for you this morning. In what ways has God gifted you to explain the content of the gospel, to share the gospel, or to confirm the truth of the gospel with your life? He has given you a gift somewhere to serve one of those purposes. Where is it? Second question, how are you exercising your gifts in the church and for the church? To the degree that we all acknowledge our gifts and use them faithfully in the church, Jesus himself will become manifest in our church as we confirm the truth of the gospel here. Do we want to see God do a mighty work? Find your spiritual gift and use it for his glory and for the common good. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you were a gracious and giving God, that you have given us your Holy Spirit, as the book of Ephesians says, to seal us for the day of redemption, to confirm, Lord, that we belong to you, but also as we're seeing this morning in your word, that we might be equipped with some gift to serve your church. Lord, forgive us for thinking that we can be an obedient Christian without being a church Christian. Forgive us for not seeking out to use our spiritual gifts or understanding what they are so that they might be used for the common good that others might see you manifest in the ways that we serve in our church. Lord, motivate those of us who need motivation. Give us the energy we need that we might exercise our gifts in various ministries. 
Lord, open up new avenues for us, new ministries for us to use our spiritual gifts. Lord, most of all, we thank you that you have saved us, that this might even be possible, that we might be servants for you because of the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, if there is anyone this morning that is lost still, they've been gullible still because there is a veil over their eyes to keep them from seeing the depth of their sin or to keep them from seeing the greatness of your mercy in Jesus Christ. I pray that you would take that veil and remove it, that they might come to see the great offer of forgiveness and transformation in the gospel, that they might turn to you in repentance and faith and believe. For the rest of us, Lord, motivate us and move us beyond maybe what we are comfortable doing, that we might serve you obediently. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.